Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Live from Pawnee. I'm Alan, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Mark. Mark, how are you, sir? I am doing well, Sir Alan of the Round Table. I have my Arbucks coffee, as always. It tastes delicious today. It's extra delicious. You hit the spot. Extra sauce. Extra sauce, yes. Well, we can't talk about sauce No, we anymore, can't talk but, about that. Uh, Hey, you know what we are here to talk about, though, mm. is our Tuck Watkins interview that we were lucky enough to do a little oh, while back. That's right, because yeah. uh, today is a... Uh... Live from Pawnee presents Pawnee Spotlight. Yes, it is a Pawnee Spotlight. And, uh, you know, it's. I wish we had done this a little sooner, but I'm glad we're finally getting to do it. Me too. Here. And uh, Tuck was a great interview. I mean... We've said that about everybody, and it feels like almost like we're being in, you know, insincere. Insincere, but he was a really nice guy. Yeah, he was. Um, you know, we get a chance to talk to him about being a family man, about his experience on the show. Uh, he, you know, he's a dad, and like I think we related him in lots of different ways. Absolutely, but he was. Um, you know, I think above all, he's a Midwesterner. Yep. So I think there was a, he went to IU. He studied the same things I did at IU. Right. I mean, we gave you a bit of a, you know, ribbing for Purdue, but you know, what are you going to do? Whatever. You guys suck. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. But, um, but no, it was, I, I had a great time talking to him and you never know how an interview like that's going to go. And uh, he certainly got a, a, a big resume. He's been on television. He's been on theater. He's been in movies. So again, you know, I, I think he was, um, He's it was a been pleasure to speaking with him. Quite successful. He's been very successful. <laughs> to say the least. Say and the I least. was so happy I got to ask him like about his first name. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's a that's definitely worth listening to. And we talk about his role, obviously, as uh, Pistol uh, Pete. Pistol Pete DeCilio, yes. Right. And uh, Mr. Slam Dunk himself. You know, we all want to be remembered for more than the slam dunk, don't we? I mean, if we can. I'm I'm good with that, but I would have been fine just doing the slam dunk. But, but ultimately, yes. yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, Mark, why don't we do this? Let's go on and play this interview. And when we're done, we'll come back. We'll say a few words and send everybody home. Awesome. Let's do it. All right, everyone. Our interview with Tuck Watkins. Well, we have a wonderful special guest today. He has over 70 credits in television, film, and stage. You might recognize him from television appearances on Baywatch, Melrose Place, Sisters, Beggars and Choosers, One Life to Live, Desperate Housewives, or possibly in The Mummy, uh, Uncoupled, or Boys in the Band. And of course, you'll recognize him as slam dunking Pistol Pete DeSilio. Please welcome the very talented Tuck Watkins. Mark, Alan, how are you guys? We're doing great. We're doing great. Thank, Thank you, you for the invitation back to Pawnee. <laughs> You're always <laughs> welcome. You're always welcome. So That's right. We're just a short car ride away, so. <laughs> Sorry, I'm in Burbank. I'm sort of in the flight path, so every now and then we might hear an airplane. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> no worries. No worries at all. Uh, you said you're in Burbank? Yes. I live in Burbank, California uh, with my uh, twin, twin 10-year-olds. And wow. uh, I lived a rock star lifestyle for almost half a decade, and <laughs> then I had kids and thought I'd plug them into my rock star life. And if you're a parent, you know, that doesn't quite work. Nope. I never thought I would live in the Valley. Here I am living in the Valley and I actually love it. <laughs> Very nice. I surprised myself. Where are you guys? Uh, we like to say we're about an hour north of Pawnee. So we're in Indianapolis. Oh, okay. I went to IU. I know. I saw that. And uh, in honor of this, I wore this today. So nice. Alan won't shut up about it. Oh my no, gosh. I will not. Mark went to I went Purdue. To so. Oh, well, yeah. that's why he's an IT guy. That's... <laughs> 
Well, I was there, I'm sure, a, a lot earlier than you were. Not much. A couple of years. What, what, what did you major in there? I did a telecom major and I did a theater minor. Oh, you did? So you really did. did do the same thing. I... <laughs> what, here, here's what I think is so funny about having, nobody really asked me what my major was anymore. Right. right. But for like a decade after college, like it sort of a, a softball question was, oh, where'd you go to college? IU, what did you major in? Telecommunications. And the funny thing about telecommunications is no one has any follow-up questions. Because nobody, <laughs> nobody knows what it is. And, That's great. I have a degree in it, and I don't really know what it is. Isn't that funny? I mean, That's I, hilarious. I think I thought I was going to work in television production. Yeah, I mean, specifically yeah. in television production. Did you? I remember okay. taking those, those classes where you, you, know, you manipulated the camera, and yeah. you worked in the editing room and all that. It was fun. Well, Tuck, this week we're actually covering uh, season six, uh, episode, um, what was it, 13? Yes, yeah. that's right. Episode 13. That's crazy. We're almost done with this thing. Uh, the episode was Ann and Chris. This was your third and final appearance. Um, how'd you come to Parks and Recreation? You've got a big resume. Well, I don't think I had as big a resume back when they hired me to do the first episode, which I think was season four. Yeah. I, I auditioned for it. Oh. Um Every now and then, actors actually audition to get jobs. <laughs> and I, I don't really remember my audition, but I do remember auditioning for it. I got the job, and I was a big fan of all those people. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, it was a really funny character, so it, it was fun. And then um, I remember someone on someone, one of the producers said, you know, we usually have people back. The producers say that a lot. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, but, but but I did notice on Parks and Rec, they do that. They bring characters back a lot, which is one of the things I love on um, on TV shows is when they bring back people that have been there in the past yeah. as part of the world. I just always think that's really cool. Right. Yeah. That's one thing that Alan and I have often said about Parks and Rec. It feels like, um, like a real-life Springfield from The Simpsons because you have this really rich universe, and they keep on bringing back characters like Pistol my touchstone is Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood because I'm older than you guys. But yeah, I, I, I have a, a similar touchstone. <laughs> That's great. So what was your impression of the character? I mean, he's, he's an interesting guy and uh, he's got a little interesting little arc over those three episodes. Uh, well, my favorite characters to watch are always um, idiots who think they're smart. Yeah. My favorite actors are, are John Cleese and Kevin Klein, and oh yeah, they, they oh yeah, those kinds of characters. And uh, Pistol Pete is a bit uh, sort of a, a soft version of that. Um, he his his heyday was in his teens, and uh, he probably should have left town and sold cars in Long Beach, <laughs> California, or something. But he stuck around. Um, and uh, so I thought it, it it was fun playing a character who 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 thought he was a big deal at one time, but really wanted to break out of that. But I think he was the uh, regional manager for Derwin Hamlows or something yep. like that. Very good. You're not, you're not going to be known as for selling hams the same way you got known for dunking a, a basketball. But I, I thought he was, I thought he was a, a sort of a, a lovable lunk. That's it. a good way to describe it. It is. Tuck, we, uh, we read it in your, in your resume about uh, your, speaking of Kevin Klein, another Indiana University alum, uh, you went to IU, and uh, so that's not far from Pawnee either. No, it's not, and I'm, I'm from Missouri. I went to college in Indiana, so I sort of understood the sensibility of the people who would work on the, on the city council in small-town America. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, I come from that, and, you know, we all live in our own tiny kingdoms, 
<laughs> that the rest of the world is completely unaware of, but they're really important to us. So yeah, I I, uh, I, I felt like I understood the sensibility of that world. Yeah, we, we've talked a lot about Pawnee being kind of, like Mark mentioned, Springfield, you know, from The Simpsons. I think one thing that the writers and the actors and the producers and everything, uh, everyone who's been involved has done is to make it feel like it could be a real place. You know, it's it's nonsensical at times, but at the same time, it's also a place, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm from the Midwest that I, I relate to. Well, you know, it, it makes me, there, there's so many stories like that. Like Game of Thrones is this sweeping epic thing, but they always showed you the map yeah. And you sort of knew where you were in this world and how each world related to the other and what body of water separated those two cities. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure that there must be a, a, a map of Pawnee that someone has drawn <laughs> to show you where the city hall is, where Leslie yeah. lived. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's something like that that exists. Um, and I, I just I, I think. Um, the stories that that have a life like that are so um, they're easy to become a fan of because you just feel like you mm -hmm. fall into that world and it feels you know what it is it's cozy mm -hmm. even though Game of Thrones was so bloody and violent it somehow felt cozy at the same time and I think Pawnee and Parks and Rec felt the same way. I completely agree. I, I we've said several times it's just fun to watch an episode and just go back to that universe because we're so used to these characters and the interactions and it's just it's like a a, a shoe that that's well worn it fits you you know yeah it's and it's wearing out and most people think it's probably not attractive but you love it yeah. <laughs> it's comfortable absolutely <laughs> so tuck with, with everything that you've done in your in your career um is there such a thing you think has a perfect role or a perfect role for for you like is there something that you look forward to especially when getting the chance to play a role i think that there are there are roles that I feel like um, as I've as I've aged, um, I've been an actor for like 35 years now, and I think the things that um, would have excited me when I was when I was younger are, are different than they are now because when I was younger, there was more things that I hadn't done, more things that I hadn't explored, and now that window is just a little bit narrower. But what I what I really appreciate now, what I what I like now, is um, I love recently I've been playing the old guy and most of my life I kind of played like the young guy or one of the younger guys. And, you know, I just did this <clears throat> um, uh, play called the inheritance where there's a cast of like 13 people and I was the old man in the show. And uh, as opposed to feeling like, Oh, I'm, I'm old. Uh, that, that sucks. I actually really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. there's, there's something about sort of earning that, station that i really mm -hmm. appreciate and i i kind of find that um my work's a little more it's a little more lived in it's a little more settled down i was supposed to be doing this movie right now in england that got canceled or pushed because of the uh the actor and the writer strikes and it's about these guys my age in their mid late 50s who are on the soccer team and they sort of stumble into this tournament in europe you know, they're a bunch of knuckleheads who shouldn't be there and they're not as good as everybody else, but it's got sort of a full Monty mentality to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and there's something about playing one of those old guys that just, um, I don't know, I just really enjoy it. I feel like uh, my work's a little more authentic as opposed to put on. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, me too. 
Becky, you mentioned, you know, 35 years in acting, and that's an amazing career. You know, uh, we talked briefly there and a little bit off air before we started about, you know, minoring in theater at Indiana University there. How did you, like, obviously had an acting interest even as a young man, like, how did you transition into acting as a career? Well, I, I started acting in high school because um, I found that I could make people laugh. And so that's how I sort of got into the outer ring of the inner ring in terms of <laughs> having friends. I get that. Um, and then in college, I spent most of my time in the theater theater department doing plays. But my dad was paying for my tuition for college. And he suggested that I get a more practical degree so that if acting didn't work out, I'd have something to fall back on. I actually completely agreed with him. So I got a degree in telecommunications, but spent most of my time in the theater department. In fact, I would have had a double major in, in theater, but I didn't take costuming because I was afraid of the sewing machine, which seems so silly now if I had taken that one <laughs> class, a double major. Wow. Um, but so, but, but, you know, when I was in, in, in school in Missouri and Indiana, uh, I didn't really think that it was a way that I could make money. I mean, I was aware that there were movie stars and there were people who lived in in Hollywood and, and you know, th there were millionaires, but I didn't really think that was an, an option for me. Um, but I remember, you know, auditioning for a, a bank commercial in Indianapolis and I got this bank commercial and it paid me $300 and I thought I had won the lottery. <laughs> and, and it made me kind of realize maybe I could make money at this. So when I graduated, I decided I was going to um, move to LA. I was gonna try to be an actor. And if it didn't work out, I'd figure it out beyond that. And, um, you know, there's been highs and lows, but fortunately enough, I've, I've been able to scratch it out over half, almost half a century. <laughs> That's great. Tuck, I'm, I'm too curious. I have to ask. Uh, so I, my understanding is your your real given name is, is Charles Curtis Watkins uh, third. You're a third. Um, so, how, so how did the nickname Tuck come about? Uh, let's see, my, my father and my grandfather have the same name that I do, obviously, because I'm a third, uh, they went by Kurt. And when I was little, they said, say Kurt. And I said, yeah, Tuck. And <laughs> they thought that was cute. And so everyone just always called me Tuck. And I remember thinking in my twenties, yeah, it's, it's cute now. It's fine. But, but I can't go by that name when I'm 50. And I'm 57 now, and I'm still going by it. So um, it just—I guess it's a name that I gave myself when I was learning to talk, and it just stuck. I love it. I love that. That's great. You yeah. definitely don't see a lot of other Tucks out there. No, no. In fact, in fact, there's an actor named Tuck Milligan, who uh, I had always heard his name, and every now and then people would say, "Oh, have you met the other Tuck?" And I would say, "Oh, no, no." But I was working on—I was working on a soap opera for a while. And the executive producer of the soap opera uh, said, uh, you'll never guess who I hired to be your lawyer. I, I had done something wrong in the soap, and so I needed a lawyer for a few episodes. And he said, I hired Tuck Milligan to be your lawyer. I was like, oh, great. So so Tuck <laughs> Milligan and Tuck Watkins actually got to work with each other. Wow. At point. On, that is uh, terrific. Yeah, yeah. Does he spell it the same way? No, he. Uh, his is T-U-C-K, because yeah. I believe it's a more proper... Um, uh, I, I'm not certain, but I think it's shortened from Tucker, Tucker whereas yeah. mine is a, a made-up name. In fact, yeah. my, my mom <laughs> spelled it because Kurt, C-U-R-T, she started spelling it 
TUC because I guess it just made sense. Um, I actually had a manager when I first started out who said, you've got to add the K, your name looks unbalanced, TUC Watkins. And I thought, oh yeah, okay, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. And I did it for about a month. But if you look at the name Tuck, T-U-C-K, it looks like another word. And I thought, I don't want that. It just didn't feel right. So I, I, I went back to dropping the K. I don't blame you. Good yeah. choice. <laughs> <laughs> Your manager wasn't from Indiana, like uh, John Mellencamps, who uh, made him uh, Johnny Cougar since he, because I think he was a manager of like animals. And uh, that's how he actually got Johnny Cougar before Johnny Mellencamp. So. Well, I, I, I saw, I saw, we, we used to call him, we called him, we called him Johnny Cougar when I was in college, because I think that's what he was still going by, but we knew yeah. his name was Mellencamp. Right. And I saw him at the Bloomington Mall one day. Yeah. Um, I was with my friend, uh, Diana Greenberg, and she dropped her purse and a bunch of stuff fell out and I was helping her pick stuff up and another hand, some other hands were helping her pick up stuff in her purse. It was, it was John Cougar. It was Johnny Mellencamp. Oh my wow. gosh. Yeah. That's terrific. Yeah. <laughs> Now, we used yes. to drive, I, did, I did Summerstock Theater in Southern Indiana one summer, mm -hmm. and uh, we we drove by his, uh, really an estate, at least in, in terms of uh, Indiana terms. He had a yeah. big wrought iron metal gate. Do you remember that? Do yeah. You, do, do you remember we were in Nashville this weekend, so we, we literally oh, drove by. Yeah. Uh, Wasn't he in Seymour, he's Indiana? From Seymour, yeah, but he lives oh, okay. and records down in, in Brown County, basically. Yeah, because so, yeah. I was yeah I was at the Brown County Playhouse summer yeah, of '87, sure. and we would always drive by John Mellencamp's house in these white vans, and we would always stare out the window hoping to get a glimpse of him. But um, I don't think he was a recluse, but he was never in his front yard. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. The Brown County Playhouse. Uh, we used to my wife and I we, were, we would do the paging thing, so we get to stay and see the show for free. And we were there in 87, 88, 89. So I don't know, maybe we saw you. So maybe you did, or maybe you just <laughs> saw me on the street eating ice cream at that place hey, before or after. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's terrific. I wanted to ask you, um, you know, we've kind of been seeing you all over the place the last few years, which is terrific. Um, tell us, I yeah. wanted to ask you specifically, though, about your Broadway experience with Boys in the Band and, uh, you know, what's Broadway like compared to being on screen with television, for example? Well, I had a very spoiled, fortunate experience. I had actually moved back to Kansas City in 2016 uh, because I was a single parent. I'm, I'm a single gay guy and I wanted to have kids. I had kids through surrogacy on my own. And suddenly I was a single dad with two babies, a boy and a girl. And I basically panicked because every time I ever thought about wanting to have kids, I never pictured anyone younger than five. And I didn't realize that until they handed me babies. So I've got right. these babies. I'm living in LA by myself. And um, so I, I moved home. I moved back to Kansas City in 2016 when they were like three years old, because I honestly, I just needed help. Mm -hmm. And why, and, and I also thought, you know what, maybe I'm going to change my life. Maybe I'm going to do something completely different. Uh, you know, I, I want to do right by my kids. And so I was back in Kansas City trying to figure out what the hell that was going to be. Hmm. And I got a, I got a phone call you know, out of the blue from Joe Mantello, who is a Broadway director. Mm -hmm. And he said, we're doing this reading of the boys in the band. It's the 50th anniversary. Brian Murphy's producing it. Um, could you come to New York to do the reading? I said, ah, and actually I can't. I'm doing a play at Kansas City Repertory Theater. And he said, uh, I think you should make it to this reading. 
which I didn't know at the time, it was sort of code for, we're going to do this play on Broadway and we're probably going to make it into a movie on Netflix because Ryan Murphy's producing it. I think maybe you should take a day off from your repertory theater in Kansas City and come do <laughs> this. And, and uh, it turned out Sunday was my day off and that was the day they were doing it. And so I, I did that. And then um, it did turn into, uh, you know, this Broadway experience. But like when I said it, when I say that my experience was spoiled, um, it was produced by Ryan Murphy. It was directed by Joe Mantello, who's got a handful of Tonys. It starred Jim Parsons and Andrew Rannell and Zach Quinto and Matt Bomer and all these other great guys. We sold out every night. We would get a standing ovation before the play started. So wow. where did so you go from it there? Was, <laughs> it was a magical experience that I'm, uh, I have not done a Broadway play since. I'm going back to New York to do a, a workshop for a Broadway play this fall that might turn into something. But I can't imagine that I will ever have a better experience than the first one I had. You set the bar so pretty cool. high on your first one out of the gate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the bar is too high. To, I, I should probably just never go back. I should probably just decline any offer to do Broadway because it can't match. You, um, you said you were in the inheritance. Was, that was done, staged in, in California, correct? Uh, yes, we did the, the the West Coast premiere of that. Uh, it was supposed to be in 2020, and then COVID hit. Oh, so yeah. it got pushed for two and a half years, uh, which was actually really fortunate. It's a seven-hour play, um, and I had two and a half years to learn my lines. And so I showed up off book two and a half years later. Um, but that's one of those juggernaut plays. It's two parts, uh, similar to the, the Harry Potter play yeah. that premiered on Broadway and, and Angels in America. Um, and again, that was a, a really rewarding experience. You know, I've, I've done a lot of theater, but the only two plays that I ever wanted to not end were Boys in the Band and The Inheritance. Mm. Most of the other ones, after opening night, I was like, okay, I'm done. Let's move on to the next thing. <laughs> but but the, these two were uh, really, um, it was more than doing a play. I felt like it kind of moved the needle a little bit. Um, it's a, it, it, Both are about the... The, the gay experience in America and what what that is like. Uh, one was in the 50s and one was, uh, you know, 50 years later, like 2017. Um, so and as a member of the LGBTQ community, it was um, really rewarding to get mm -hmm. to uh, participate in those, those productions. That's great. That's awesome. And yeah, they were they were both really well received from what I read. Uh, and I, the inheritance, I, I heard a little less about just because it was farther away. But I know we were planning a trip to New York at the time and uh, didn't unfortunately didn't get to see the boys in the band. So. Uh, well, yeah. But, so we, then we turned it into a movie for Netflix. So you can go to Netflix and um, it's essentially the same thing. Uh, I actually think that the movie's better. Mm. Most of the mm. time, the movie is not as good as the book or the play. Yeah. Um, but I think this movie was better. I think it just um, we had we had sort of done the the play for six months as almost like a rehearsal process to shoot the movie. Um, and um, the way Joe and Joe Mantello also directed the the film and Ryan produced it. Um, we he just I think he really captured the nuance uh, of the relationship between you know these nine different gay men who were sort of trapped in an apartment together. Um, but yeah, it, um, the, the, the play revival won the Tony for best revival. Um, and, uh, I hope it was well-received on Netflix. I think it's still on there.
It is. I actually uh, got a chance to check it out yesterday. So that was my my first experience. So it was terrific. Oh, good. Yeah, good. Very, very much enjoyed it. And uh, everyone in that cast is an amazing actor. So it's just, uh, yeah. you you definitely hit the jackpot there. So including yourself, I agree. of course. Thank you. <laughs> Tuck, Alan had kind of opened the door uh, asking about, uh, you know, your experience doing the, the, the Netflix movie versus Broadway. What do you think about doing, say, uh, like TV versus movies? Is there one that you like better, one that you like easier? Or, and and also kind of a follow up to that, like comedy versus drama. You said that you would make people laugh in, in high school. And that's kind of how you got started with that mentality. Do you enjoy doing comedy more as opposed to drama? No, to me, it's all kind of the same thing. When I first started out in the early 90s, uh, uh, I moved to Los Angeles to be a movie star. Uh, anybody who moves to Los Angeles to act probably wants to be a movie star. Um, and uh, movies were at a hierarchical level that was above television. And, and yeah. it always had. And that has changed, I think. I think because of the streamers and the kind of uh, programming that uh, non-network entities can produce, which is edgier, um and more interesting i think that television has has surpassed film in terms of telling a story particularly these um these limited series great shows where it's just one season it's just you know seven nine episodes and you tell a story from beginning to end and uh like there's a series i just watched called Lo love and death and it's about this woman who commits this horrible murder and you know it wouldn't be that long ago that that would just be a 90 minute yeah. independent film right but this was uh you know eight or ten episodes that uh was it was binge worthy i'm not a binge watcher but i did binge that one and i think you can just tell a more detailed interesting story on television now than you used to ever be able to so i i think you know they the tables have turned on that um but in terms of comedy drama um i don't feel like i i prefer prefer one over the other um it, i think it just depends on on the part i got to play a billionaire in the inheritance that's fun to play a billionaire that just <laughs> sure wonders on the ego um and then uh in uh in boys in the band i played this sort of like down on his luck guy who you know sort of betrayed his family to pursue his goal so it, it's it's playing the gamut is really fun i think if i think if you play one thing for a long time you naturally want to do something different mm -hmm. but dennis franz played a cop his entire career and he did he did a pretty good job he did fine yeah. yeah yeah kind of coming back to parks and recreation i i know you had the the three episodes and uh I, I was curious if you don't mind me asking, you know, the, I think your second appearance is the one where basically Anne is looking for a sperm donor, you know, and you, you have your <laughs> surrogate experience. Um, were, weren't those going on right around the same time? You know, now that you mention it, I remember, I remember talking with Amy between takes about that. I think here's what I think it happened. I think in the first episode that I did in season four, I, I think maybe she had just had a kid and I said, I'm trying to have kids. And so we talked a little bit about that. And I think in the next year in, in that episode, you're talking about where Anne's looking for the sperm donor. I think I had just had my kids. Well, we could we could backtrack this because my kids were born in December of 2012. 
So we could find out if that's accurate. That's but right. I do remember uh, sh sharing um, sort of that journey mm -hmm. with uh, um, with Amy in, in particular. Um, it was kind of like life imitating art. Great. That's very cool. Yeah. I think uh, that episode, Ken Weddingham directed that, if I remember, and um, that was <clears throat> 2013. So at least yeah. the air date. So, so, yeah. Yeah. So I, I probably had just had my kids, is my wow. guess. And they're, they're 10 now? Yes. Uh, I have a boy and a girl. They are, they'll be 11 years old wow. in December. Um, I'm officially in charge of nothing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know the good thing about ha having kids that are 10? You know, when you're a parent, you have to you play games with your kids and you always have to throw the game so that yeah. they don't you know, cry or they want to keep going to, to bolster confidence. Right. I don't have to throw the game anymore. <laughs> they're, they're genuine contenders. And that's actually a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, enjoy it while it lasts. I, uh, we, we were in IU this weekend for parents weekend. So it, from from 10 to there goes like that. So at least it did for me. That's what so, I hear. That's yeah. what I hear. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, you can relate to the twin experience a little bit. Oh yes, I'm I'm a I'm a father of twins as well. Um, they are I think they're a, they're a year older than your daughter, Alan. So yeah. they're at the college age, and they because of the pandemic, they're learning to drive a little bit later. So I'm I'm getting the joy of teaching them to drive. That's as fun as it sounds. <laughs> you know, whenever I meet a, a parent who has twins. Uh, who are older than my kids, I always say, if you could give one piece of advice to a parent who has twins, what's the one piece of advice you would give? It doesn't have to be the best piece of advice. It's just something that you've run across that you found works. Well, I, my, my experience is probably a little bit different. I'm, I'm a stepfather to, to them and to others. I, I think the thing that I would recommend is be sure that you spend time with, with both of them together, but also be sure that you spend individual one-on-one -on -one time which is a mistake I made early on because I, I always thought of them as a, you, this sounds so dumb, but I always would think of them as a, as a pair, you know? And then I thought, well, I, I have to stop doing that because they're, they're very individual people. And yeah, taking a couple hours just to go get some ice cream or go see a movie, it just, it makes all the difference in the world. That's a, well, that's a really good point because I, I rarely say one of my kids' names without saying the other kid's mm -hmm. name. Almost right. as if they're a salt and pepper shaker or Ernie and <laughs> right. Like and, exactly. Um, I, I do find the, the few times that I do something individually with them, it's so rewarding and, and it's actually kind of more fun. And they're they're so they're so different yeah. when they are on their own. And um so you're you're right. I need to make time to do that more often. because it it's it's it, it it's it's so rewarding. It's just so rewarding when I when I actually do that. They inter I interact with them and they interact with me differently when they're mm -hmm. without the other. I, I think they also kind of struggle with their own identities a little bit because like the world, they're always, like you said, a salt and pepper shaker. And it's difficult, I think, for them to kind of explore like, well, what if one of them has a friend the other doesn't like? Which of course, of course, and it sounds so silly, of course they can do that. But then well, it becomes awkward. Like, what if you invite one over to their house? Does the other get holed up in their room and not and not want to, you know, take a look at them? So I think it's hard for them to I, I, to develop their own identity yeah. separate from their twin. And that kind of helps do that. I think I think I'm lucky and I get a pass on a lot of that stuff because uh, I have a boy and a girl. Mm -hmm. And so ah. they're, they're much less likely to be compared. Um, and they uh, naturally like very different things. But I've always thought 
I remember when I when I was going through the surrogacy process, um, uh, I, I I learned that there were uh, three embryos that we were going to transfer, and two were girls and one was a boy, and so I learned I was going to have twins. So I knew one of them was a girl for sure. I didn't know if the other one was a girl or a boy. And I remember I went back and forth on what I wanted it to be. But one of the thoughts I had was, please make it a boy, because I think maybe I can learn how to braid one girl's hair, but I cannot braid two girls' <laughs> hair. I know I can't do that. Um, and and I would have, you know, we would have navigated it however it worked out. But 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 I, I do really enjoy, uh, because my son is sort of all boy, my daughter is sort of all girl, mm -hmm. and uh, it's it's kind of like uh, it's it's a very well rounded experience that I feel very lucky to have. Wow, absolutely, that's awesome. I can semi relate, I guess, in terms of my wife and I. We had to do IVF, and uh, you know, we we were the twin possibility was very high. It didn't happen. Uh, we like to joke that my daughter, you know, absorbed the other one and became the super powerful girl that she is. You know, and we. You know, she. We thought we weren't sure what to expect. We did want a girl, and uh, she. Uh, I always like to say at that time, at least when she was young, that she was uh, a princess on the outside, but she was a pirate on the inside for sure. That so, is great. Yeah. Whenever the subject comes up around my kids, my daughter always says, "Curtis ate the third baby." <laughs> Curtis, ate the, Curtis ate the third one in the womb. That is terrific. That still comes up. Oh, I love that. I wanted to ask you about um, kind of jumping back a little bit, you know, two two questions and you can ask them, answer them in either order. So soaps, soaps versus primetime experience. I'm just curious about the nuances of those two worlds. And then uh, what do you most recognize for? Well, there is no nuance in daytime television. Okay. Uh, it's, <laughs> well, that's uh, true. it's more, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's much more broad, but I got to say, people say, what's your, what's your favorite job? My favorite job is, uh, when I was on One Life to Live, it was so fun. Part of what I really like as an actor is working with a company, like a repertory company, mm -hmm. and going and doing the same character, doing different things in each episode, as opposed to, say, in a play where it's the same character um, yeah. doing the same thing night after night, or uh, uh, in a movie where it's just one character who does one thing throughout that, that whole thing. Yeah. Um, I loved my experience on daytime in the nineties. Um, I loved having a steady job. I love going, I love living in New York. I love going to work in the morning and coming home at night. Mm -hmm. That's probably the Midwestern person living inside me that I, I like <laughs> the regularity of that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and it was so fun. It was, uh, you know, they, they teach you is the, the first thing you're supposed to, when you get on a soap opera, the first thing you're supposed to do is get off the soap opera. And I remember learning that formula, but when I was there, I was like, this is so fun. Why, why would anyone leave? Yeah. But I, I did leave after a couple of years because I wanted to go back to LA and be a movie star. And so I did that. And about three years later, I was not a movie star. So I, I called One Life to Live and I said, what if I came back? What if I um, came back from prison in Morocco where I was? And they said, sure. So I was lucky hmm. in that arena, but um, I still look back on my daytime days as some of the most fun I've ever had as an actor. That's terrific. Well, you, you were on right. One Life to Live a lot. So I assume that is one of the things you're more recognized for that. Maybe Desperate Housewives. Uh, yeah, you know what's funny? It, it sort of depends on the environment. Mm -hmm. I, 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 got, I, I get recognized for One Life to Live 
a lot on modes of public transportation where you can't escape. Airplanes, <laughs> buses, subway, there, there's a lot of that. And, and it's primarily on the East Coast. I think people, uh, there's, there's some sort of um, phenomenon that occurs where if, if, you, if you live east of the Mississippi, you watch New York soaps. And if you live west of the Mississippi, you watch West Coast soaps. That's not so much true anymore because there were 12 when I was doing it. And now I think there's only four. Um, but, uh, you, you know, Parks and Rec is actually one of my favorite things to be recognized for because <laughs> of the interaction with the fans, because it's always it's almost as if they have gotten a surprise on Christmas morning. It's like, oh, my gosh, you're Pistol Pete. And it's never are you Pistol Pete? It's you are you Pistol Pete. Like, right, right. Know it. <laughs> and um, and they're uh, there are they're so knowledgeable about the show and like they know stuff that I don't know about you know my own character in fact uh, I was working on I think it was uh, Uncoupled uh, a mm -hmm. couple years ago and there was a crew guy on Uncoupled who uh, when I was on set the first day he said hey you're Pistol Pete and I was like yeah <laughs> yeah I am and every day he, he would whenever he would see me he would light up and he would say Pistol Pete and I go yep and then I realized I don't think he knows my name. I think he just knows I'm Pistol Pete. <laughs> but yeah, so it's a, um, fans are, are a funny bunch, but uh, I, I always love their um, enthusiasm um, and sort of un unbridled joy about, you know, seeing folks that they know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Tech, what, uh, so speaking of parks, um, it sounds like your experience with Parks and Rec was a really positive one. Um, do you find that they, did you like uh, uh, working with, with Amy as a showrunner? And and uh, did you experience some of the, I think they call them fun runs when they, they do a scene then just say, okay, now do it however you want to. Well, you know, uh, yeah, the whole thing was, was fun. Um, a lot of times you go onto a show where you're not a regular and um, they kind of don't let you be funny. Mm -hmm. Right. They want you to help the others be funny, yeah. but that was never the case on on Parks and Rec. They, you know, they 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 always made room for the the people that were supporting them to be funny. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned how was it to work with Amy as as a showrunner. Um, I didn't know she was a showrunner. She didn't act like one. She wow. didn't throw, she didn't throw that kind of weight around um, because. She, uh, I think that's just a real testament to her character mm -hmm. um, because she, she could have said, don't do this, do this, or, and th there was none of that. There was none of that. It was just always uh, fun. And so I think that's a mark of, a, you know, a real leader because she didn't have to do that. Um, but in terms of those fun runs, uh, Mike Scully was on set for that first one mm -hmm. where he's on the skating rink and Leslie and Anne are interviewing <laughs> yeah. him to, Hey, come yeah. do a ram dunk. And um, I remember I had never experienced this before as an actor where you're doing the scene and they say cut. And then Mike Scully would say, OK, say this. And he would just say something. He would say a, he would just say a different punchline. And and so you do it. And then he'd say, OK, now say this. And I can't remember any of the examples, but he 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 sat next to the camera and I'm sure he probably had a couple ideas coming to set what for some alternate lines but i think he was just riffing i think he was <laughs> like listening to what was happening and throwing stuff out there that was so 
funny. And I'm sure that's not a surprise to anyone who knows Mike Scully's work, yeah. but I've never experienced that. Um, and uh, it, it was so fun because it made me look good. It, it made me look <laughs> fun. Um, and I had nothing but a, a great experience on, on that show. Yeah, that's terrific. I, that episode was written by Mike, so that makes sense that he was there. Uh, yeah, like say he yeah, got the golden pen for that one, and I think the director yes. was Tucker Gates. So, yeah, yeah. Though there's another Tucker for you. Yeah, there you go. Yep. There we go. Did he go by Tuck though? He went by Tucker. There you go. Yeah, yeah. or sir. He's a <laughs> sir. <laughs> 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 you know that tuck that episode where you know you're talking about of course that's where we're first introduced to pistol pistol pete and you're out on the ice and they want you to do the oh, the, yeah. the slam dunk and you were so funny in it uh but i thought holy cow when when you went up to make the dunk and then crack the back of your head i thought oh i hope that's a stunt man because <laughs> it looked like that hurt it, it was a stunt man um and he did an amazing job and he did it on the first take Thank goodness. Wow. wow. But uh, that scene on the ice skating rink with the tiny red carpet and scooting along the ice and having to get Leslie up on that little set is still one of the funniest scenes I think I've ever seen on television. And whoever chose get on your feet yes. as the when they're slipping and sliding was a genius <laughs> because each right. time you hear it, it's funnier and funnier. And you think, OK, that's enough. But each time it's just funnier and funnier. I, I I think that scene is is comedy gold. Ron Swanson holding the three-legged dog. The dog's peeing on me now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, the whole yeah, the whole thing. I couldn't afford enough carpet and it's on ice and oh, basketball. Yeah. I mean, that's genius. That's that's brilliant. Genius. If we ever get a chance to talk to Mike, we'll have to ask him because I, I know that, that you know, those choices also cost them money, right? I mean, that song's a very expensive song to use. And, Probably, uh, yeah. They get their money's worth out of it. They played it, yeah. what, oh the beginning gosh. of it 13 times? So, <laughs> Yeah, something like that. I imagine he sat there and thought, where is the worst place to play basketball? Mm. On an ice skating rink. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> that's, probably, that's probably how Pistol Pete's sport was born. There you go. It was just the most inappropriate one to have on ice. <laughs> Doc, is there, um, from your career, you know, overall, is there a favorite single experience? I mean, I know that's got to be hard having been on television, film, and stage. I mean, I guess, you know, if you had to pick one, could you? Um, it's it's hard to just pick one. I, you know, I, I speak about the uh, One Life to Live uh, because of the experience uh, a sort of a long form experience. Yeah. Um, I think getting to do uh, shows like Boys in the Band and um, uh, uh, Black Monday, where I, I played a, a closeted congressman and on Uncoupled, Neil Patrick Harris and I play a gay couple who uh, uncouple and mm. it's a comedy. Um, I what I really appreciate, I, I would have to say about sort of the genre of, of playing gay guys on TV now is in the past, it was just, there was a, there was a gay guy and he had to just fill the role of, oh, that's what gay people are. And now with a show like Uncoupled, you've got an entire cast um, of, of gay characters who, uh, you know, are different stripes on the canvas. And so to be part of that progression Mm -hmm. um, because I've played a, lo a lot of gay characters from the 90s until now. And to be part of that progression, I think it's more of a, uh, 
well-rounded experience that I would choose as sort of like my my favorite thing as opposed to one episode. It certainly was not Baywatch in 91 where I was the, probably the only person on Baywatch to wear a cardigan sweater and loafers. <laughs> That's not the standard <laughs> uniform for that show. I mean, how sad is that? I worked out a ton when I was in when I was in my 20s. I worked out all the time. I had this rocking bod and I got on Baywatch and they put me in a, a cardigan sweater and loafers? Come on. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> oh my <great>. gosh <laughs> do you feel yeah. like i think you kind of would i think you almost said it but i want to just be clear do you feel like representation is better now for people in the lgbtq community uh a hundred percent it's a hundred percent better um you know representation and you know how it is out, out in the real world while there are still issues um you know yeah. i i am afforded a, a more open honest life because of the people that came before me and i think that's reflected in in our art our movies tv shows plays um i think there's more representation there's a lot of people in the lgbt community who are behind the scenes mm -hmm. and i think their voices were encouraged to stay muffled in the past and that's just not the case anymore and so those those people are, are creating stories uh, uh, about us by us um, so it's, it's been, you know, there's, you know, obviously a, a long way to go and we're still having you know, still laws out there that seem preposterous, but, but absolutely it's, it, it's better. It's, it's better. And, and, and we're lucky to have had the people that came before us that paved the path. That's a great. Good answer. Chuck, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time today. It was really awesome to talk to you and uh, you have such a fascinating career in your arc and uh, yep. I um, just admire you and uh, really appreciate your time today. Absolutely. Will you, tell, will you tell that to my kids? <laughs> <laughs> because they're they're just mad at me because I make them, you know, unload the dishwasher. But I appreciate that. So uh, I, I will I will force them to listen to this uh, project when it. You should do that. There you Excellent. Go. There you go. We'll, we'll play that in the radio on the on, as I drive them to school every morning on repeat. That'll be my my new torture for them. <laughs> um, but it's really nice to talk to you guys. I, I I love that show. I love my experience. I love Pistol Pete. Um, I, I love when people see Pistol Pete, they just light up. It, it's such a testament to that to that show. And it's got a real important uh, place in, in television history. I was so lucky to be a part of it. It's It's got staying power, that show. It yeah, sure it does. It's got legs. Ten years later, we're still talking about it. So Yeah, absolutely. That's a real testament to the show. <laughs> and you guys do a great job. So thanks for inviting me. Well, thank you very much. Oh, thank we you, Chuck. We look forward to seeing you wherever you do next. Uh, so do I. I'll let you know. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you. Bye, Todd. Bye. Take care. All right, everybody, we're back. Well, Mark, that, that was a great interview. He was a super nice guy. Um, we had a little bit of technical difficulty with this one. If you remember, <laughs> yeah. this is the one where somebody, I won't say his name, leaned up against the delete everything button and we lost the whole interview. We had to kind of rebuild it, you know, the $6 billion interview from scratch. Well, that's, and we had to, that's why we removed the button. It is why we removed the button. That's why it took so long for us to finally air the full. That's we, right. We did air some clips a while back, I think in one of our episodes, but we finally got a chance to air the whole thing today and I'm very pleased to do so. Me too. Holy cow. What, what a cool interview. I really liked Tuck. He, he was, like you said, he Midwestern sensibility. And, and I'd say, 
even when we've interviewed guests where that wasn't true, we've always found some sort of human common ground to talk about. You know, we're right. not Hollywood guys or anything like that. But you're not. I think. Well, fair enough. But I think we love the show. We we love their part of the show, and that's been the anchor for everything. And that was true here as well. Agreed. Agreed. I know that my my daughters were very excited when I told them about the Tuck Watkins yes. interview because they are very familiar with his uh, with his partner, Andrew Reynolds yes. from uh, Book of Mormon, among yes. other things. Absolutely. But they love him and Josh Gad in oh, that. Oh, my gosh. I mean, how could you not? I know. Well, we're recording this intro around Thanksgiving. I actually saw those guys, Josh Gad and Andrew Reynolds and the Thanksgiving Day Parade promoting their new musical, which looks amazing. Oh, so much fun. I wish I could go to New York and see that. But um, anyway. Tuck, uh, you know, Andrew's better half, yeah. uh, was an amazing interview. I, those guys, I think they met in the boys in the band, which mm-hmm. he did talk about in the interview being right. on Netflix. If you, and if you didn't get a chance to see it on Broadway, you can definitely see it there. And, uh, I've actually watched it. I really enjoyed it. So I'd recommend watching it. Yeah, so, me too. Sure. Great, great cast, including Tuck. So, all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. We love bringing these interviews to you and hope you like them too. And, uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. All right. Bye everyone. Bye everyone. Live from Pawnee is a copyrighted production of the creators. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Original music was created and performed by Aaron Emerson of Emerson Studios. Clips are used under fair use doctrine for the purpose of commentary and parody. Please see our website at livefrompawnee.com for more details or to contact us.